Hello and welcome to the How to Exit podcast, where we introduce you to a world of small to medium business acquisitions and mergers. We interview business owners, industry leaders, authors, mentors, and other influencers with the sole intent to share with you what it looks like to buy or sell a business. Let's get rolling. And now a moment for our sponsors. I want to highly recommend you get Acquisition Aficionado magazine. Every month, Acquisition Aficionado magazine brings you tactics for business buying and selling you won't find anywhere else. Learn firsthand from industry leaders who share their success stories, featuring in-depth interviews and stories from leading figures in the business acquisition industry. This multi-platform mobile magazine speaks to acquisition entrepreneurs wherever they are in the journey. And I want you to visit acquisitionaficionado.com today. Hello and welcome to the How to Exit podcast. Today I'm here with Darius Ross, who's been in acquisition since the 80s, long before it was popular. And he focuses on uh, leverage buyouts, roll-ups. He's also known as the wild herb of small business investments. Welcome, Darius. Thank you for being on the show. It's Captain Pleasure. Awesome. So I always like to start with kind of how did you get into this space? You've been doing this for a while now. So um, I've had some really cool people on the show who have been doing this, you know, more than 10 years. And you're definitely in that, you know, been doing this since before it became a trend. And uh, so let's talk about how you kind of got into this space and uh, what that looked like. I was uh, 1984. I was fired from a job at a bank. And my mom said, you know, maybe you should turn around and consider real estate. And didn't do well as far as trying to sell property, but uh, then I realized that you have guys that have problems in the business. They can't get leases. They don't have legal backgrounds. They don't have experience as far as getting anything in relationship to the business that they have as far as getting the leases right, getting the legal advice, and so forth. So along comes a guy that's turned around and had all this experience and figured, okay, we're going to use knowledge capital. How do I take this knowledge capital and make it work for me minus getting the commission? So we start cutting side deals, and this is how it began. Tell me about some of the favorite deals you've done, and then we're going to kind of get into why why this is an important uh, field for people to, to consider getting into. But what's something? What's one of the, the coolest things you, you've done that you like? See, one of the biggest things was I'll dispel all myths that people need to really understand about this business. I went out and purchased the Westlaw Library, and Westlaw is owned by Thomas Director. So giving folks an idea, here you are, non-attorney, and you're a purchasing the entire Westlaw library. So they're looking at me like I'm crazy, like, what's he going to do with all this information? Well, the issue of the hour was, was to know what the attorneys do. So with that in mind, then it became dangerous. So when everybody came along with the deal, good, bad, or indifferent, I love deals that were nightmares because now I got the worst nightmare. You got a divorce pending. I'm going to show you how to hide assets first. I'm going to show you how to maneuver around how to say the bankruptcy laws. I'm going to show you how to maneuver around how to put things in the right place, how to turn around set of holding companies. So all of a sudden, any deal, was fair game. And so for me, that was the beautiful part about it. That library gave me everything from torts to mergers and acquisitions to LBOs to you name it. And so long before you had YouTube, you had this wonderful thing called a book. And mm. so that's what got me in there. <laughs> a wild game. I mean, I had a thousand books all over the place, all over the house. And I'm reading every single day a new chapter to try to figure out what the problem was. I had a furniture company. He had a problem with divorce. Okay, we're going to show you how to hide the money. It was so good that even his wife's lawyers couldn't figure out what it happened. So this is how good this was. That's awesome. It's fun, funny that you did inside of business acquisitions what I did inside of real estate. I mean, in the real estate, 
short sales are a nightmare. But mm -hmm. if you learn the rules of it and you make everybody adhere to some rules, mm -hmm. you can you can really make some waves. I, there are banks out there that uh, I, I don't want to get into it on the show because uh, like these are big, big companies. But That's there were it. banks out there that would see my name on a contract and say, buyer not qualified because they were so mad at me. But we would track down uh, bank banking violations inside of uh, consumer mortgage loans and turn them into the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau. And then I had a network of people that uh, I had either mentored uh, into short sales and or were you know mentoring me. And we would find these things that say, hey, look what we found for Bank of America. Look for what we found for Wells Fargo. Do you, if you have any of these indications, you probably have one too. And then we would mm -hmm. all turn them in and get, you know, they would get huge fines. And basically yep. we would strong arm them into, you know, negotiating or whatever, just because they just wanted it to go away. They're like, get this deal mm -hmm. off, off the table. Uh, I've seen second mortgages released and like without payment. I mean, just like they just get, get it out of here. And, uh, so for after a while there, they just basically, if my name was on a signature, it said buyer not qualified. So we turned them in <laughs> for it. that. So if you remember all the news that banks were getting in trouble for blacklisting um, uh, investors, you know, mm -hmm. we, I was part of the group that turned them in for because I was one of the uh, investors. They just basically said, if this name's on a contract, don't sign it. I don't care what entity or whatever. They're looking for my, my name, my signature, whatever. Because I changed the LLC because we were buying them under LLC. It's like, no, buyer's not qualified. They would just, they wouldn't explain anything. They just say buyer's not qualified. Like I had freaking cash lined up. I could show them a bank statement that has the cash in the account ready for it. Buyer's not qualified. Like my money wasn't good enough. So, uh, so you did the same thing inside of the business acquisitions. You found ways that to untangle problems that other people couldn't. I got so good in the short sale space that all the real estate investors in town would just hand them over. Like somebody would come to them like, ah, it needs to be short. So they hand it to me because they didn't know what to do with it. <clears throat> we had a ton of business from referrals. I bet you got the same thing. People... Acquisition entrepreneurs like myself would get a hold of something. Yeah, this is a mess. And they probably reach out to you because you can untangle it. Well, what's the funny part about it was at the time that you were talking about, we were talking about resolution trust was going on, Community Reinvestment Act. And so, so I love being the ant that 400 million years later is still pestering mankind. So I was the ant. And every time you look around, you're like, oh, not him again. It's like, you know, even the devil waking up, like, not him again. <laughs> Give me a break. So that's the beauty of this business. When you become the anti-thesis of all of it, people start looking you up. Even people think, I didn't have business cards doing it. I didn't have situations where it was a website. It was just like, like listen, I got this friend. He's got this problem. He got a problem. Here we go. It's on. And so you enjoy that kind of thing. So I enjoyed beating up the big guy. It was the reverse. Not the little guy. It was beating up the big guy. You know, you bring him on, I'm down for it. Yeah, that's what we loved. We were a three, three to five minute shop. We had a couple of interns sometimes. We were... <laughs> Two guys when we started, and then occasionally we'd have a third one that was kind of a permanent intern, and then we'd bring in part-time guys here and there. And uh, we would normally negotiate between 30 and 40, sometimes more, uh, uh, short sales at a time. But to be the, the, you know, to be the Davids and going around smacking around Goliaths uh, on a daily basis was kind of fed my ego, I think. I think it fed my, my ego more than it did my wallet a lot of times. That's right. That's right. That's right. <laughs> You got to be careful with that one, right? So be careful that you're feeding the right, the right, you know, the right uh, system there. So let's talk about the uh, like the industry itself. What's going on in the space, and why is it important for people to consider acquisition entrepreneurship? Well, there's a bunch of nicknames for it now: ETA, acquisition entrepreneurship, uh, whatever. But uh, so, why should people be buying businesses now? Um, this is a golden era, and it's a golden era for a couple of different reasons. You have 50, 
500 close to a trillion dollars plus of, and I say trillion dollars, I'm getting closer to a quadrillion dollars around the world, where you have these businesses that are owned by baby boomers. And we're talking about baby boomers that are my age, say 55 up to 70 or 80. And there are hundreds and hundreds and thousands, if not millions plus businesses that they can't get out of. Now, since COVID's made it worse, because now the sales are down, the markets are down, people aren't buying, and they're just sitting on zombie companies. So now the issue of the outbreak is they want out. They don't know how to get out. So now you have the issue and the problems. But the problem, they don't know they have a problem yet. Because every single day you're looking at probably eh, seven, eight million people are retiring every single day. And this is going to go on between now and 2025, maybe 2030. And in this country alone, you're looking at about 65, 70 million businesses that are owned under, say, 100 employees that they need to turn around and make moves. So as a result, this is a huge industry. And the number of buyers that understand how to actually wade through the problems and get to the point where they can actually buy the businesses. And the real issue and the crux of the matter of it is the sellers don't know what to do. They're putting the business with business brokers. One out of every 10 will sell. The rest will go out of business. So it's a beautiful opportunity. Now, the big problem is you got to educate yourself the game because this is the game now. The sellers want maximum price. The business brokers want maximum price. And you've got to be able to find the sellers before the business broker does. Because most of the time they become the business brokers, it comes a point in time where the business brokers have got to frustrated. And now he's saying, okay, if the business is worth even that maybe $2 million, he might have, might have the shell worth maybe 400000 But the business brokers goosing them up and gassing them up because they think he's going to get something for it. So this is where the real meat and potatoes comes in. So let's talk about right, you, you. You said on the in the th- notes you sent to me that you're doing uh, LBOs and roll-ups. When you're talking to roll-ups, so the, the one thing I've noticed about this industry is we all have different definitions of what certain things are. So tell me about your roll-ups. Like you know, what do you what do you consider a, a roll-up, and um, how does that work in your world? I'll give you an idea. In my background, I've done two to three hundred companies with uh, an aggravated asset base of between nine and ten figures. And that's from the venture capital side to the equity state side. So I've done interesting things there. But this is how this really plays out. When you're doing a roll-up, right, you're looking for, let's say, an air conditioning company, platform, we'll call it. That's the foundation base to get started. Now, from that, you're looking at different markets or different add-ons. So you might be looking at an air conditioning company, maybe you need a company, maybe you need an HVAC company, maybe you need a company for landscaping. So each one of those companies are an extra accessory to the mainline company, which is the air conditioning company. So that's basically what a roll-up is. You're rolling up companies either in the same industry or they're going to be aiding that company in that main industry to allow for you to be able to get more business from that customer. So let's say the homeowner. You look around there and you see he has raggedy grass. Okay, I've got the perfect situation. I've got a landscaping company. In the same token, you see there, you see a septic tank is screwed up, or you have a septic tank company. So basically, you become the cycle of your market. Now, the problem with that is a lot of roll-up companies go because they get probably 20 companies, and there's no set system. There's no set of employees that have the same consistency at all. And then last but not least, the owners themselves did not have an employee attrition program that would allow for employee retention. So having said all that, the roll-up doesn't work. So now you have a situation where you have a bunch of companies that you have a bunch of money that's all tied into. You've got owners that are waiting for payouts and or some type of stage payment. And it's a mess. 
I, the reason I asked your, your definition of it is because there's two different trains of thought. Some people say a roll-up is like, like what I was working on last year, marketing agencies, that's it. So everything had to be a marketing agency or have like lead, not really lead generation companies or stuff we were looking at, but they were in marketing. Right. To where other people say, you know, you buy an anchor and you fulfill the market in that space. So it's like the, what you were talking about. Like I own a pest control company. Wouldn't be a bad idea for me to, you know, in Tulsa, Oklahoma, wouldn't be a bad idea to have a cleaning company because who, who finds more bugs than the cleaning lady. Right. Or, and, and a lot of the pest control jobs I have, my guys have to go clean everything before, you know, or at least remove a bunch of the junk before they can treat it. So right. having a, you know, a deep clean crew before or after, you know, would be critical. So, you know, that a lot of people look at roll ups like I'm going to take a market and I'm going to roll up a business that addresses all the needs of that particular customer. So that's why I was asking what the difference was. So uh, what right now, what do you see happening? Like, how do you, I'm, I'm going towards the economy. It's, it's kind of, we're, we're tinkering on this whole, it's a recession. It's not a recession. How do you see that impacting uh, the future of acquisitions and, and businesses? The economist side of me says the following, this is going to shock a lot of your audience. In the next five years, we're going to be looking at an uh, employee nightmare of about 100 million people in this country unemployed. I'm going to shock some folks. When I say 100 million, I mean 100 million people unemployed. As well as the Dow stock, standard and Poor's down by 50 to 80%. So we're looking at the Dow going back to where it originally was at almost in the 70s, three or 4,000 points. So it's going to be wiped out. And what that means for an acquisition specialist or an acquisition entry is there's a feast to be had. Yeah. Because all you have to do now is get the phones, get the access, get the equipment, and those kind of things, and just wait it out, and just kind of try it along. But it's all Because you're looking at probably now 20, 23, 24, 25, you're going to struggle a bit. By 2030, you'll be back in business because it's the later generation will be back booming again. We'll have alpha generation coming about in the 20, 30s, 20, 40s. It'll be a long, all wonderful opportunity. But right now, we're going to see a lot of pain. So I say to everybody, prepare for it. Now, the plus side of it is sellers that are unrealistic are going to die. You cannot sit there and say, well, 50% above my business. Those days of the real estate business being 50%, 100% bidders, over with. Those days of bidders, as you can see now with Blackstone and BlackRock backing out of single family, it's making folks think it's over. Same thing with the appreciation of the asset values of things. We're not going to have the asset value again of 100 200%. That's over. We won't see that probably for another decade. So I want to acknowledge we're still having a little bit of audio issues and stuff. We've got most of that. Hopefully it's just my side. Sometimes the, because uh, this records in the cloud, hopefully the recording sounds better. So if you're out there listening live right now, we're having, and you're having audio issues and you, you can't hear us, please chat, uh, send us a chat message and stuff. I'm going to keep going. I think we should, I think it's, we're catching enough of it that it's very valuable. You're, you're just, you're, you're, you've got some really great content, but uh, like this last, that thing you were explaining, I can only catch about 50% of it. So I can go through it again. Uh, what we're looking at is looking at a situation right now where the markets are not going to support ever again in our lifetimes 50, 100, 200% valuations. Never going to happen. We won't see that until the alpha generation, which is being born between 2020 and 2025, 2029. So with that being said, we're going to be looking at a lot of the pain. And like I said, 100 million people unemployed over the next three or four years and probably millions of businesses going out. I mean, we're seeing the pain starting to happen now with the layoffs and so forth. So for the upcoming acquisition year, for the 
entrepreneur that is going into acquisitions, this is the field day. Gather the assets, gather the bones, look at potentially speaking, positioning that asset to potentially go bankrupt if necessary, but hold on to the bones, get the core of the business, and really realistically sit down and have hard court talks with sellers. Sellers have to be realistic now. Those days over as far as a bygone 2000s. Interesting. Do you think a lot of that, uh, the shift in it, I see some of the trends of what could cause some of that unemployment, right? The economy going down, some of these businesses not being bought. Uh, artificial intelligence is going to take over. I just read an article today on the real estate space that in France, they ran AI, artificial intelligence, to look at all the satellite imagery of the area and tag thousands of people who had undeclared swimming pools. And now they're raising all their property taxes, right? Mm -hmm. And where I'm from, where, you know, where I'm I live in California now, but I have a lot of real estate in, in, in Oklahoma. The property taxes in the rural areas, if you put up a barn or a shed, your property taxes go up because they go by structures. Once a year, the uh, county assessor has to come out and walk around your property. They can do the same thing with the AI and actually measure those because it's done by square footage of structures on your property. AI, this uh, there's no reason why AI couldn't look at that satellite imagery. Now I'm a satellite imagery guy from the back in my military days, so this intrigues me. But I'm just saying... That was a human being or a team of human beings that had to go spend the whole year visiting property after property after property. Now there's software that could do it in minutes, right? And uh, that's going to happen to a lot of things. There's a lot of like copywriting and, and, and writing letters. There's AI bots out there now that write better copy and write our letters than a lot of human beings do. And uh, so um, as that gets better, you know, a lot of the jobs that you see right now are going to be replaced by automation and, and technology, I think. I'll even say something interesting there. I got involved very recently with the drone business, a whole other level. And now the average person can take a drone and do wonderful things. So I can just say there's satellite technology, the drone's even better because now you can get up close in person. It's beautiful how that works. So you're right on target. I got to play around. So I'm, I'm a, I told you I was prior military and prior satellite uh, guy, uh, military intelligence. I got to play around and I like be in the room when the first drones were around, like before they were mm -hmm. civilian, right? We used to call right. the predator the lawn dart because I was actually at the yeah. uh, the facility. I can't say where it was, but I was I was at a desert facility where they were testing that, and we jokingly called it the lawn dart because when they were testing it, the thing it looked like a lawn dart, but occasionally if it if it right. if it failed. It would just mm -hmm. turn down and crash, burned up, you know, millions of dollars of equipment. So uh, if they lost signal or whatever, that thing doesn't fly without the computer helping it. It's a, it's basically a, a winged rocket looking thing. And it, mm -hmm. so, but yeah, I got to see drones before drones were, you know, mm -hmm. uh, commercial, you know, uh, you call it commercialized where they were, you know, like you and I can do them. There's drones yeah. that will fit in the palm of your hand. So, uh, That's right. yeah, I, I can see that, uh, you know, I remember it's like, when I got out of the military, there was I was a satellite imagery guy, right? And in the commercial space, you can either work for the government, which is what I did. I worked for Lockheed Martin for a while. Mm -hmm. uh, or you can go to the commercial space, which was Landsat, and you know, mostly doing survey mapping and doing multispectral imagery for things like uh, farmlands, looking for irrigation mm -hmm. failures and stuff where the moisture wasn't done in the soil and stuff. So all that now, so that was... That was either done by sensors on aerial airplanes or you had to buy very ex expensive, uh, you know, satellite coverage. So satellites would go over and then they would sell that coverage to people who, you know, that were running these uh, uh, ge geographical information, GIS, geographical information system shops. They'd have to buy it. 
now you can just fire up a drone. I mean, you can drop, fire up a drone, drop a, I think cameras are still expensive for FLIR and stuff, but you can, you can buy a home drone, put a FLIR on it, Florida looking infrared and see in the dark for, right. for thousands of dollars, right? The, I think the FLIR cameras are still four or five grand, but it's, it's incredible what you could do now from your house, right? That's so, right. uh, you know, you know, think about even the law law enforcement used to somebody's on the run. They have to get the helicopter off the ground the helicopter. go chase it. There are cops in cities now that have uh, right. drones that have FLIR on the drones. And, the, you know, they're chasing somebody. They just step out of their car, to launch a drone and they're following right. the guy on a FLIR drone. And mm-hmm. you're not, you know, that thing can go inside of buildings and stuff. You're not getting away from that, you know. Mm-hmm. So it's it's I think we're going into a different I mean, I'm sure our parents think that, you know, had the same scenario where they thought the world was changing because of the technology we have now. Right. I carry, uh, you know, even me growing up when I, my first cell, my first phone, uh, that I, you know, when I grew up, I'm going to date myself here. Uh, I'm 50, but, uh, I grew up in a very rural area. Uh, when we moved out to Kellyville, Oklahoma, our phone was what was called a party line. So mm-hmm. it was a yep. rotary dial phone. You pick it up and you had to make sure none of your neighbors were on the line. Right. right? right. And I was a creepy kid. There's some really attractive, uh, sorry ponders there's some really attractive young ladies that live down there i'd pick it up and like try to listen like they're like get off the phone i'm like oh man I hang up right but uh you know so i'm just saying that now now the the cell phone that we have in our hand is more powerful than the computers i used when i was in the military right so uh i remember the satellite imagery systems having hard drive rooms and data centers that would take up just rooms and rooms and rooms and they're like yeah this is so many gig my cell phone has more than that this tablet where mm-hmm. it's recording this has a terabyte solid state hard drive in it. I mean, that's just insane. That technology both enables jobs. And at this point, we're at the stage where I think it's going to start taking them. Right. Yeah. I think that, you know, the biggest concern, the um, ec- biggest economic concern I have around AI is where are those people going to earn their keep? Right. The people where the AI takes the, the, the responsibility. I honestly think, within the next five or six years, a lot of customer service jobs go away. These, these AIs are going to get so smart about answering tech problems and being able to pull from data and doing real like human, like conversations with people that, you know, that call center job where somebody's like walking through you through debugging your computer. That's something a computer could do better than you anyway. Absolutely. I mean, we're seeing it now. Uh, yeah. Something as simple as when you mentioned the satellite technology, the satellite phone, I can go anywhere now. Yeah. And use it anywhere. Yeah. The low orbit satellites, it's incredible. You know, I'm sitting in, I mean, just think about it. I'm sitting in a redwood forest in Northern California, surrounded by redwood trees mm-hmm. with a gigabit interface, a mic in my face, and I can be anywhere in the world. I have a tiny house we can drag around anywhere we want. You know, technically, I mean, I could throw this on a cargo ship and take it, you know, put it on an island somewhere if I really wanted. And as uh, long as I can, you know, with Starlink and other stuff now, which I have on sure. order, um, I can be anywhere and do this. So, you know, the, the cool, it enables, and I think it, there's a good chance it's going to, I, those jobs will go somewhere. Um, there's a, there's the argument for what they call a standardized living wage. If AI gets so good and everything's running so well, then, um, you know, something has to be done. People have to survive. So I think that takes but, us to another level there, too. You mentioned about um, the whole internet and the AI and so forth. I'll throw this one in there for, for nomadic entrepreneurs. There's going to be a space 
to the bank entrepreneurs that will be able to run the businesses, run the acquisitions, to VPN and leave if you could clear for folks that don't know about that virtual protocol network. They can be in other places in the world, run the businesses, have managers that are owners because they own part of the equity business and still run the business. So you can actually be an acquisition person, be an acquisition owner, have someone somewhere in Hong Kong, they can be in San Francisco, they'll be in New York running that business, you can be somewhere and enjoy yourself. So that's another phase for acquisition entrepreneurs to consider, the nomadic entrepreneur. That's something that I'm heading toward now because, you know, things different. You want to enjoy life. You're in the 50s, you got other things. So this is another facet. Yeah, I mean, I'm sitting here and, like I said, in California, I have a pest control company in Oklahoma. I'm looking at companies in other states. Uh, as long as I can get on a Zoom call and, you know, and yep. I have, I'm not the operator. Like, I don't, I'm not, I think my operators ought to be local. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, so that's a great topic. I, I think we, you sent me some notes about this too. Like, what is an acquisition on, uh, operator versus an acquisition owner? Because um, I stay on the owner side, I'm not the operator. So. I think the difference there is, is that if you've got someone that knows how to run a business, I mean, I actually keep a constant repertoire of guys that run businesses and that run businesses. I'm not a business runner. I can, you know, go in there and figure the numbers out, get it bought, and that's it. I want to be out. I want to deal with the day-to-day stuff. I want to spend 70, 80 hours. But you've got gun hope guys who want to get in there and run that business, let them do what they do, pay them well. My grandfather used to say it's better to have a 1% of a million dollars than 0% of no money. So the bottom line of it is you might only get 4 or 5% of that because you're paying him in the staff level. But the business is running well. You're guaranteed that money, and you don't have to turn around and be there all the time. And you can enjoy your life vacationing. So as an operator, the key for you is to find people that understand management backgrounds. Maybe it's a guy that's been a former for 10 years, and he wants to have his own stock. He's got a little equity stake in there. You've got it in there. He runs it. Now, you're able to turn around and be more of the CEO, whereas we're going to redefine CEO. Chief experience officer. You have experience to make this work. Now make it work. And your goal and your gain is, is to make sure that you keep on giving your percentage, the business is functioning, and you're able to turn around and have freedom. That's that chief experience officer. You have the experience to know that you don't want to be operating that business, but you do have the experience to know how to operate. I look at it as I'm the chairman of the board, right? I'm going to put an <laughs> operator in there. I'm going to oversee it. I'm going to, I might even bring other board advisors on to make <laughs> sure that we have direction and knowledge and stuff. But uh, the operator is on job site, knows the insides and out, knows how to grow it, knows how to scale it. There's, that's two different things. A lot of people think growth and scale is two different things. The same thing. It is not. So knows how to you know, you know, scale, knows how to grow. And, um, you know, that, that's, that's critical. And one of the things I've been asking everybody that's on the show is how do you – because this is, this is a pain point for me. How do you identify great operators? What is your process to know somebody is a great operator? To like, that you would stick them in a business that you're you're about to buy or, or uh, have already acquired. It's what I said to my, my kids. You're going to get your feet wet. You're going to be in pain, and you're going to hurt. So the guy that I want is a guy that has experienced crisis. The business has been close to bankrupt. He has been through the trenches. He knows how to turn around and turn a wrench out of nothing. He knows how to turn around and create opportunity out of nothing you want. That's the gal that you want. They understand how to make things work when nothing else works. So you want that person to have pain, aggravation, frustration, and know the employees. That's the key. Now, once you have somebody like that, that's the key to your opportunities. And that's the key to somebody that can make your business work and function for long term. 
but you've got to be able to ascertain that. You can't put somebody in there that's okay, they just look good on paper and the resume is great, but at the end of the day, they can't operate that business. You want a guy that actually has survived crisis, and that's what I call it. You know, if they can survive crisis, they'll keep the business functioning. If they haven't, well, an operator. There are great people out there that are just good at showing up. I think my wife's this way. If you get my wife does excels at jobs where they're structured, do this and do this next, do this next. Uh, there are also people out there who are great at problem solving. It's something mm-hmm. I, you know, I, I honestly think it's less than 3%. I think it's uh, somewhere less than 3% of all the people on the planet. You know, you hand them a problem and they naturally just want to solve it. They're, they're eager to mm-hmm. it. That's, that's how their brain works. I'm, I'm wired that way. I, and I tend to lean to more complex businesses because of it when I shouldn't. There's people like the short sales. Oh my God, there's so many easier ways to make money in real estate than what I was doing. <laughs> there were people, you know, I would fight for six months, 12 months, 18 months to get one deal done. And there yeah. were people doing, de- you know, you know, finding a house, closing it and you know, fixing it and stuff in a month, right? Or two months. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it took the acquisition part of the, you know, my transactions would take six months, 12 months, 18 months on, on a regular basis, you know, so, but I could untangle things other people couldn't. So I get that. So my operator, you're thinking that the operator needs to have that problem solving ability on top of being able to structure things. That's right. Okay. As well as being able to financially have equity stake in there. You know, oh, if he only has his last $20,000 in there, take his $20,000. Don't say, well, okay, we'll give you some equity after you earn some equity. No, if he's got some skin in the game, he's got something to lose. He's going to make sure that business works. With no skin in the game, it's the same thing in a marriage. You got to make sure they got something to lose. That's that's a great topic because uh, one of the ways I'm looking for operators are people who are. So I have this podcast I run to. Uh, I do twice a month. I do a meetup where I'm meeting other people and acquisition entrepreneurs. And one of the, and obviously, I'm transparent as I'll get out. One of the reasons I hold that, every, you know, twice a month, I spend an hour or two on my day with you know people, and I go to other people's meetups too. I'm always on the lookout for somebody who has money to invest and has operational experience because I'm really good at finding deals and negotiating things and people bring me stuff. So, but I'm not, I'm not an operator, right? You know, mm-hmm. uh, you know, not, not, not a great operator. So if I find somebody that has money to invest because um, I want them to have skin in the game and they're a great operator, I want to know who those people are so that when I, when the deal comes up, I go, Hey, you know, Jay, Joe over here used to run a, a heat and air company and the guys, he grew it to, you know, X, Y, and Z. Now he wants to own his own. I've got one. Let me call him and say, Hey, look, I'll give you, we'll start off at 15% ownership of the company for the 150 grand that you have. You'll work your way up to a 35% ownership over the next three years. If you hit these goals, that's the kind of plan I want to have. And I know he's done it before. Right. Yeah. And, uh, there's nothing more powerful than somebody putting their sweat, their equity into a deal. You know, so I believe that a hundred percent. So I'm glad that you're, you, you, I'm glad you confirmed that, that thought. Cause I haven't got it done yet, but, uh, it's, that's where I'm leaning is like finding individuals who they want to own their own business. They want to be their own boss. They want to be the operator. They want to be the CEO, but you know, knowing how to source deals, negotiate deals and stuff is what they're trying to learn. And they just haven't figured it out yet. So, see, I think the big thing that that is, is knowledge capital. We have to understand the concept as entrepreneurs and acquisition entrepreneurs. We have to be able to make that statement and accept it to ourselves. I am not good at operating a business. I openly admit that I have the ideas of what's supposed to happen. I know exactly how it's supposed to go down. But my specialty is is being able to do that deal. I know the inner workings of it from the letter of intent 
all the way down to what the seller is thinking. But at the end of the day, when it comes down to that customer relations aspect of it, that's not my thing. So we have to, as acquisition entrepreneurs, have to say to ourselves, that's not your thing. Stay in your lane. And I'm very clear about that. Stay in your lane. Do not get in there trying to micromanage. If you get the 1%, if you get the 5%, if you have 50%, give him what he's due. Let him run the business. Even if you're down to 15% yourself and you have controlling stake, let the guy run the business or the woman run the business. Don't try to be Billy Badass and give it and screw it all up. And then you have nothing. Yeah, I've had a few people that are, went through the coaching programs that I would like. I was a peer with them through coaching programs, and <laughs> and uh, they were like, "I want to own a hundred percent of this." I was like, "You've never done it before. Why a hundred percent?" And they're like, "Well, I you know." And the guys that you know, got one of the guys that you know, love him. He's a great guy. I'm not going to say his name because I'm about to say something bad. Guy's an IT worker. Never had, never owned a business in his life. And I came in and was actually looking at helping him negotiate one. And he kept coming circling back to, well, I'll be the hundred percent owner or the majority owner. And I'm like, if we find a great CEO, you can have to give him a piece of this. Mm -hmm. As long as I'm in control, I was like, you Mm -hmm. can't, you got to lose control. You want to be the owner, but the key demanded you want to be in control that you're buying something for status. You need to find another way to achieve your personal status, your ego. Because if you don't, this is going to fail and it's going to hurt him. It's going to hurt you. It's going to, it's going to be financially devastating. And, uh, you know, there's some, there's some humbleness to being able to say, look, never run that type of company before. Love to earn it. Makes good money. Kind of interested in the industry. I better go find an operator and maybe even a second guy. Right. I, uh, a lot of times if the company's big enough, and has space. I want the operator in there. And then I want to know I've got a guy I'm grooming to be his operator, you know, the operator when he's gone, like maybe it's somebody internal already, or maybe somebody coming in just because you don't know how that first guy's working out. And there's some, there's, there's some time required at the beginning when somebody steps in, it's disruptive. So. So a curveball in there too. And that relates to that, that, that anonymity. See, so many of us want to turn around and be petting our chest. Like I'm the man, I'm the man. Let me, Throw something in there. There are a lot of billionaires walking around here that have never been on the Forbes 400 list, Fortune 400 list, and have never been seen by anybody. And at the end of the day, it is better to own 101% and still be worth billions and still live in your life versus you're on that list and you're under scrutiny. So some of the acquisitioners on here need to understand that it's better to have an image and never be seen and owned and still function versus pounding your fist like, yeah, I got the billion. Yeah, I got this thing together. It makes no purpose because you're not proving anything. Yeah. I had Roland on here, Roland Frazier, and I tell you, uh, a lot of people kind of like they they badmouth him and you know, or whatever. They, they you know, guru or whatever. You know what? The, the man, because he, he doesn't show up on the org charts, right? He owns a lot of stuff. Exactly. He's involved in a lot of deals. He's on no org charts. Right. But I tell you right now, his personal wine collection is probably worth more than mm-hmm. my, net, my net worth. The That's guy right. has a an automated mm-hmm. wine mm-hmm. cellar inside of his house. It's absolutely amazing. So, you know, he's getting deals done. He's doing stuff. But he just doesn't want to be on the ring target. He want to be the operator. Right. He, has no, he has no ego about being CEO of this or that. You right. know, and that's where I want to be. I want to be in this space where I own shares and businesses that are producing wealth for myself and future generations. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, I probably will have, depending on you know how much of my capital, how much of my time's you know involved in it, I might have a controlling say in it, as far as like when we buy, when we sell, you know, you know, uh, company detrimental decisions. I, I like like the chairman of the board situation, right? You know, 
Um, but I, I also have to understand that most of these industries I'm looking for, I mean, I have a pest control company now. Now I'm licensed and everything because the licensed guy we had that we were going to bring in just wasn't going to work. But um, so now I went ahead, you know, I was like, I'm really good at taking tests. So I went and took all those licensed tests myself. Mm -hmm. But um, that said, you know, that's not the right way. That was my mistake. That's why I went and hired mentors, right? I bought this, mm -hmm. like, I got into the business way too small. And, mm -hmm. uh, you know, it's like, I, I knew I wanted to own some other businesses. So I got into that one because the profit margins were good. And then realized that I should have bought something, you know, got a hold of something 10 times the size of what I, what, what I, so I hired some mentors to learn the space. Um, trying to look at like, where do you see, you know, this shift here as far as, um, do you think we can get enough people trained and buying these businesses where we actually can consume the market that's like, you know, for sale right now? I, I, I see a lot of people get in the space or some people, some good people teach in the space. There's some people who probably shouldn't be teaching or teaching it, but that's, that's, I'm okay with that. It's a free market society. If you do two deals and want to become a guru, then that's your, that's your say. It's, it's up to the people who are paying you to decide whether or not you're worthy of teaching them. But that said, I don't know that we're going to get enough people active in the next 10 years to, you know, consume this as much as I'd like to say I can consume a hundred businesses in 10 years. There's no way. Right. It's just, would you like me to be honest on that one? Yeah, I'll straight on. There is no need to have amateurs in this. All due respect to the audience to have amateurs in this that are going to mess it up and create a lot of failed situations because that's what ends up happening. You get people in here that say to themselves, everybody at one point in time, and this is, you know, at the time I had my broker's license and everything else, everybody wanted to be in the real estate. And things is going crazy. And that's why we had Resolute Trust. That's why we had the 1990s and the 2000s and all these messes. Everybody should not be in the acquisition business. Not everybody should yeah. be in the business. Very clearly. So those that are dedicated to this business need to get in here. Those that want to be dedicated to being here. The rest, leave it alone. It is better for those businesses to fail, have huge failures and we have all these fraud things, the SEC, the FBI, and this and the other, and all these problems. As we say at best, the alphabet boys are showing up. All this mess because all this money has been, been taken from elderly people and so forth. So it's better for the industry to stay very small and to have it huge and we got problems. Because now we're doing what? It's not advocated as much. And that's what yeah, I to say. I've seen that inside of the real estate space, uh, you know, everybody and their brothers started getting into wholesaling and they, you know, I, I kept saying this over, I own uh, for a while there, I owned our local RIA, the real estate investment association. And I would, I would say, look, wholesaling is still a profession. You have to do it a certain way. And mm -hmm. people get really creative in what they were doing. It's like, you're one Senator's child. You burn one Senator's child on a home. And we're going to have new regulations and laws. Now in the state of Oklahoma, you, you have to have a real estate license to wholesale pretty much. They, they basically said you're selling, you're, you're brokering deals without a license. They changed the rules on everybody. And that was because, you know, people were putting things under contract. They had no ability and no capability of buying uh, and thinking, you know, and then couldn't sell because they were, they, they weren't negotiating good prices. It wasn't a marketable uh, wholesale. And, they did that to the wrong person. They, you know, they hurt some senator's child or some senator or something, like somebody with some clout, 
and mm-hmm. now there's rules and laws that say you you know have license. That'll happen in this space too. It'll get regulated if you got a bunch of new guys out there burning business owners and hurting them. Now the difference, and here's the scary part: the difference is inside of real estate, most homeowners don't have the, that are selling their houses don't have ample funds to go hire attorneys and chase you down. Right. You start burning business owners on million dollar deals. There's going to be some lawsuits. Right. That's right. So maybe it'll self-regulate and won't be laws that are passed to regulate the industry, but eventually it'll catch up. So I, I 100% agree with you. Uh, there are some people who have no business owning a business. I just say uh, they've never owned one, run it. They don't have the entrepreneur uh, spirit. You know, love my wife to pieces. She probably should never own a business. She's a great employee. She just, you know, she needs to be told what to do next, what to do next, what to do next inside of a business. Um, you know, it's funny as uh, we've worked together twice and uh, I refuse to fire my wife a third time. So we're, we're not doing that anymore. Uh, I just don't have the time. None of, I don't have any employees while they come to like, they get what's done and go, okay, why not? What do I do next? Uh, go find something to do that. You know, that's not how I, that's why I'm not a great operator is I don't have a, you know, a systemized thing that says, okay, you need to do this X, Y, Z. Okay. You got the Z done now do X, Y, Z. And then, you know, uh, uh, this is another reason I'm not a great operator is, if I have to do something more than two or three times, the same thing, I get bored really fast yeah. and it doesn't get done. Right. Mm-hmm. I'm really good at solving problems. I'm really good at looking at new things and finding solutions. I'm really good at setting direction and vision. But if you ask me to do it 50 times over the third time into, it, I'm like, damn, somebody else should be doing this. Cause this is boring. Right. right? Uh, where to go now, man. We're, uh, we got a few minutes left. Uh, t- tell us, let's tell us about what you're up to, what's your projects now. You know, how, how can somebody help you? What, you know, this is a great time. Uh, we got about 15 minutes left uh, of what's scheduled for the show. Um, what are you working on? What can people, you know, what kind of deals can people bring to you? You know, how can, how can we as an audience help you move your game forward? I'm looking for uh, real estate uh, opportunities, 10 units or greater uh, throughout the Northeast and the South area, including the Midwest. As far as what I'm up to now, it's more a matter of now I'm looking at, um, Becoming the term that we created now, we house the world. I'm looking at building units in Africa, Asia, India, um, South and Central America, and focusing on potentially speaking over the next 30 years, having about a billion units under control. But the bottom line now is I'm looking also at construction companies. Um, everything from HVAC all the way down to including the heating companies, just to be able to be in a situation to um, acquire those and look at putting those under an umbrella. But I think the biggest thing now is for entrepreneurs that are considering this business, I would be very upfront and very clear. Do not consider this business if you're planning on getting rich quick. This is not <laughs> what they <laughs> This is not, again, what they You're going to get head over heels into a business. That's going to probably be your first one. You throw your hands up because you're going to say, I didn't get rich quick. You might have a million in assets. It does not mean you have a million in your pocket. It means you can go out and buy robes or you can go out and buy the $2 million house. That just means you have a million dollar problem. And you got to figure out how to solve the problem. So one of the biggest things I want to say is, and I'm hoping folks, is that if you're going to enter in this business and it's not me selling a sales pitch, I don't want to sell you coaching. I don't want to sell you my books. I've got seven or eight books out. I want to sell you the reality. You've got to be able to understand entrepreneurship is just that. It's freedom. Along with the freedom, if you love what you do, comes the money. But it does not come if you love the money first and then you get the freedom. It doesn't work that. You're I've got a book 
I've got a book I'm about two thirds of the way through writing. It's mostly in real estate, but I'm going to apply it to this as I learn more of this space, the acquisition entrepreneur. And it's called the, the title of the book's already nailed down. I've got the uh, domain names for it and everything. It's called Get Rich Quick My Ass. And it's basically right. the, 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 the untold story about real estate. And now I'm going to add business acquisitions, right? Mm-hmm it's not get rich quick. It's, you know, I always like, I used to teach people in the real estate space all the time. Like it's a tough way to make an easy living. Right. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of work to be done. Now in that space, I was an operator. I mean, I was in there daily. I was speaking at events. I would travel and speak at other re- like, just to get deals, you know, raise money for deals and stuff. I would go speak and teach something about real, you know, uh, short sales or a house negotiation or whatever. And, uh, or marketing for deals or direct mail or something, just so I meet people in the room and they'd bring me stuff. They didn't know how to untangle. Mm-hmm. Cause they would ask, well, what, what do you specialize in? It's like, well, I do the ones nobody wants. Right. The, but uh, you know, right. I would teach them something on, you know, on X, Y, you know, X and Y. And they say, by the way, I do Z. And if you get any of those, you probably don't want to mess with them. They're really tough. Send them to me. Sure. Right. So, you know, I, I'm a, I'm a hundred percent on board with that. So you're in the commercial real estate construction. Uh, it's funny. You said heat and air. I, I've got a, a uh, five and a half million dollar uh, heat and air company we're looking at in uh, Oklahoma. I just sent the, the information over to my guys and uh, uh, we're probably going to take a, a deeper look into that one. It's really early. early. Somebody said, hey, are you interested in? That's where it started. Like, yeah, I am. <laughs> so uh, and uh, so that's that's where we're at on that. So I'm, I'm into home services. What I'm looking at. And so kind of I think you're on the same page is what's recession resistant? Not, there's nothing such thing as recession proof, but people are always going to need a place to live. I, I promise you, if you, if you're living in a, in a, in the Midwest where it hits 105 degrees during the summer, if your AC breaks, you're getting it fixed. Right. Um, you know, nobody, nobody wants to live with bugs. The pest control companies are going to be okay. They're going to, if you got bed bugs inviting you at night, you're probably going to want somebody to come get rid of them. Uh, there's going to be some industries that they'll be impacted by the economy, but not, detrimental and there's some industries that are just going to be just hard to manage i I wouldn't touch a restaurant business right now food costs are going up travel is going down you know when the you know people start cutting back and eating at home when the economy hits a tank you know and it when this thing when if it tanks um going out to an 80 80 dinner you know and uh, here in California, I, mean, I take my family afford a freaking cheeseburgers. It's 35, 40 bucks, 50 bucks. It's crazy. Yeah. Right. So that would go away. Uh, I mean, a lot of that would go away uh, in the event. Maybe not for us. We're, we're OK. But uh, <laughs> for most families, that would, you know, that would go away. Right. But um, so resist, you know, I, I, I. I like where you're going with your, what you're doing. Cause everything you said is I still see it as recession resistant. People are always going to need a place to live. Um, where our population is starting to decline, but in most areas, there's still a housing, uh, glut. Um, there's a lot of people out there, like in a lot of these countries, big countries, uh, India, China, and some other places, there's po- what they call populate in Japan population collapse, meaning that, uh, in the next 10 years, um, well, ten, starting 10 years ago, more adult diapers. The in, leading indicator is the number of adult diapers sold per baby diapers. All right. Mm-hmm. So in the last 10 years, Japan outpaced 10 years ago, uh, the adult diapers outpaced the baby diapers. And now uh, they're for the first time ever, their population is decreasing by the hundreds of thousands per year. All right. So. Uh, but there, so there's some of that. But I, I still don't think that there's people are always going to need a house you know, to, to live in. Um, you know, I don't think it's going to decline so fast. There's a, a, a bunch of vacant houses laying around. So but, I think okay. that, uh, over the next uh, 20 
20 years for those acquisition specialists out here. And I'll say specialists versus newbies and the nomadic entrepreneurs, et cetera. I want to say this very clearly. The next 30 years are going to be a field day for opportunity. This is going to be the wheeler dealer decade, both in real estate space as well as in the entrepreneur space. But the key thing of it is, is caution. The next three years, you must be very cautious about what you do and what you're buying. Because there's going to be a lot of dogs and fleas, if you want to call it that. So you got to wait through that if that's not your issue. And that's not how it works. But will this be a decade of opportunity? Two decades, 20 years, 2020 through 2050. This is going to be a field day for opportunity. But you've got to be patient. Don't just jump at something just because you see it in front of you. Yeah, you got to. It's, it's almost like the real estate space, you know, in real estate, we used to joke because like I got you, know, you look at 100 houses, you place offers on eight of them, you get, you know, three offers accept and you close on one. Right. There's this numbers game you had to play. I, it's the same things currently the same things like this. You got to got to look at a lot of opportunities. And right now, the biggest thing that I see that, you know, will turn me away from opportunities if I don't think the business owners committed to selling because so many deals fail before they actually close because the business owner doesn't have a clear vision of what they want to do next. That's going to go away over the next few years. There's, there's going to be a lot of indications where they just don't have a choice. Health concerns, divorce, life changes, uh, aging totally out, nobody to take over the business. They're going to have to sell. But uh, like, Still, like you said, dogs with fleas. Uh, the, the, you know, the trick is, can you be the uh, the groomer with a little, uh, you know, shampoo mm-hmm. in there and, and know how right. to how to understand that there's still a good dog underneath that all that mess? Right. Uh, and sometimes there's not, right? Um, mm-hmm. Sometimes you can't. There's some of these messes you just can't untangle. So, uh, right. you know, they you might be able to buy their assets and move them, you know, into that. You know, so. There was, there was a company we looked at, uh, I looked at, and the only way to get it done was to buy a, a competing company mm-hmm. and then pay pennies on the dollar for the, the one that they were presenting to me and just you move the customers and the, you know, the assets over. Uh, they were so tangled up into messes that it's just was, there was just mm-hmm. no undoing it. Um, tax issues, embezzlement issues, just, just crazy. Um, it was just bad. So. And that's another quick side note I want say there for entrepreneurs be very careful about the owners okay as a new owner going in you've got to understand that that guy built that business for his purposes so if you're going to be buying his books you're buying his problems you're buying his concerns you're actually buying in some cases his family you have to understand that he built that business around what he needed to do and some of that wheeling and dealing if you're not familiar with you better understand forensic accounting because forensic accounting is the word you better master how and where the bones are buried. Let me be very clear, because there are bones there. Figure out where they are and try to pull them out and ask questions, just like dating now. You're going to have to be a master of dating because you're going to have to know when he's flying and he's telling the truth and what else is missing. Just remember that one key caveat. Yeah, having a forensic accounting on your team, accountant on your team is absolutely a, a benefit inside of the space. Uh, somebody has that ability. I had one. She retired out and she was looking, she was helping me look at deals for a while, but she just got busy and just, she's like, she's, she's retired. She'd only, she only wanted to do it a little bit here and there. But she was really great. She used to travel around for big corporations when they have multiple sets of books and she would like, they would fly her out when something didn't seem right. And her job was to dig into it and figure out where it was going, what was happening, clean it up and bring it back into align with corporate. So big national corporations, but 
you know, I could send her some of these deals. Like, what is going on here? She's like, you know, it's nothing serious. That's normal. She would look at it like they're just like, they just categorize things, you know, they categorize things. And there's one or two where she looked at it like, look, there's money miss going missing here. They're not reporting. And there's something shady here going on. And, uh, you know, see if they'll give me the bank statement so I can see it and get the bank statement. She's like, oh, he's got another bank account somewhere. And like, you ask him, like, yeah, I got another bank account. Did I see that? Oh, it's not related to the business. I, I still need to see it because there's something, you know, I just, I'm straightforward with people. I like, there's, there's a missing element of this picture. You can either share with, share with that missing element with me and we can help solve this together. I'm, I'm not judgmental. It's your business. You can do what you want to with it, but I kind of understand the full picture. I got to walk and, um, you know, and I'm not going to take on, you know, there's, there's ways to minimize the liability of taking something, but I don't think there's a way to eliminate it. Right. You can do asset purchases and try to do a lot of stuff to minimize uh, acquiring somebody else's uh, legal issues and, and problems, but there's still legal issues and problems uh, are there. Uh, just because you, you, you know, a lot of people are taught that, well, if I do an asset purchase, I don't take any on the liabilities. It still doesn't <laughs> okay. stop people from suing you. It might help right. you win the lawsuit, but you better understand that if there's outstanding issues. That company now not only needs to support its ongoing operations, cash flow, growth, mm -hmm. and everything else, but it needs to have a capital reserve because they got legal issues that you know are going to require expensive attorneys. Whether you whether you want to be sued or not, or whether you think you can win or not, I can sue you because I didn't like the way you tied your shoes. This is this is right. America, right? So right. Uh, let's understand that. Um, man, we just got a couple of minutes. Let's, how do people reach out to you? Like they, they've got something, they got commercial real estate, they got a construction company, they got something you're interested in. They like what they, they heard from you today. What's the easiest way for somebody to reach out to you, man? They can reach my website. It's DariusARoss.com. It's again, D-A-R-I-U-S-A-Ross.com. And my email address, they can reach me at, at I-D-R-S-P-K-T-O-Y-O-U-Yahoo.com. So I'll make sure the, uh, that gets into the show notes for people. I think I do have your email address in the show notes, but I'll make sure that the, uh, the web URL gets into the show notes also. And uh, I appreciate that. Um, thank you for being on the show today, and we'll just call that a show. Is there a, any last points you'd like to make right before we jump? Just make sure that all the to-be acquisition entrepreneurs, but even current entrepreneurs, keep in mind, start with the end in mind. You know, what your goals are. Acknowledge the fact that the seller has a concern that he's trying to get what he's trying to get done and just make sure the two of you meet at the same space. You know, there's going to be a win-lose in this game. Just make sure that you win enough to make it worth the while. Awesome. Appreciate that. That's a great tip. If you ever need anything from me, man, uh, reach out to me. And I'll help you out. Like uh, the easiest way to reach out to me is going to be my LinkedIn because I'm constantly on it. Uh, my email address is pretty easy. Uh, it's me. It's ilmi at ibuy918.com from my real estate side and me at four sell to sold.com. Uh, the, the numbers are numbers for the number four sell uh, S A L E uh, to uh, sold.com. So, but I, you have my contact information, sure. but uh, I appreciate being on the show. If you ever need anything, reach out to me and uh, I look forward to seeing what you do out there. I'll, I'll keep, I'll, I'll keep an eye out for the, the things that you are, are building and developing. All right. Have a great day. Thanks, sir. Right. You too. Hey, it's your host, Ronald Skelton. I want to thank you personally for watching the show today and invite you to call our new hotline, 918-641-4150. That's 918-641-4150. Call us and tell us about our show. Ask questions. 
uh, suggested guests, or even tell me about a business you have for sale, and we'll reach back out to you. Again, that number is 918-641-4150. Call our hotline and leave us some information. Thank you. I want to announce our new channel partners, the ITX Marketplace. Since 1998, ITX has created $5 billion in value by selling more than 225 IT businesses in 20 countries. ITX works exclusively with IT-enabled businesses generating between $5 million and $30 million who are ready to be sold and M&A decision makers who are ready to buy. For over 25 years, ITX has developed industry knowledge that helps determine whether a seller is a good fit for their buyers before making the match. ITX Mergers and Acquisition Marketplace we have partnered with has a proprietary database of 50,000 plus global buyers seeking IT service firms, managed service providers, Microsoft service providers, software as a service platforms, and channel partners with Microsoft, Oracle, ServiceNow, and and the Salesforce space. If you have an IT-enabled business you're ready to sell, I want you to visit the IT exchangenet.com slash marketplace how to exit that link will be in the show notes visit them now the investors and entrepreneurs professional mastermind the investors and entrepreneurs professional mastermind combines the traditional peer-to-peer mastermind introduced first in napoleon's hill's famous book think and grow rich with accountability partnering where your peers help you ensure that you set goals, take actions, and get results. If you want to scale, blow past roadblocks, and achieve success faster than you might think is possible, I suggest you take a visit over to tiepm.com. That's T-I-E-P-M.com and check out the Investors and Entrepreneurs Professional Mastermind.